welcome to another edition of Rethinking Aloud, uh, where today we're thinking about disability and the church, uh, how we understand disability theologically, how we can make our churches more inclusive, uh, how we make the most of the gift to us, every member of our church community, um, perhaps something about what we're learning, maybe even where we need and I'm joined today by Emily Williams, a disability advisor for the Diocese of Leicester, uh, by Kay Morgan Gurr, co-founder of the Additional Needs Alliance, a consultant and advisor in disability and additional needs, uh, and a council member of the Evangelical Alliance, uh, who herself experiences two neuromuscular diseases uh, and is visually impaired. Uh, and also joined today by Wynne Reese, whose son Marcus is a young adult with Down syndrome. Now, it's great to have the three of you on the podcast. And I actually want to start with theology uh, and then work our way through to the practical uh, and perhaps some anecdotes and personal stories and experiences that you might want to share. Um, but I'm just wondering, what might a theology of disability look like? Uh, and I'm going to put this one to UK, and I realise this could be a subject for a whole university thesis uh, slightly, slightly miserly. I'm going to give you about six sentences. But what, what might a theology of disability actually look like? Well, it's actually a relatively new and still evolving uh, theology. And thankfully, more disabled people are now involved in what they're doing in looking at this. Now, within it lies some very formed theologies, such as justice, suffering, the image of God, and various other things. Um, Things like, does God cause disability, decreeing that this person will be disabled, or is it just a result of that's life? Healing, um, that's a biggie. What part of faith does that have to play? Are everybody healed or not? Actually, that's quite obvious because I've not been healed on that one. And why do so many people come up to me that are strangers and say, can I pray for healing? And then there's the theology of heaven. Will I be healed or still need a wheelchair in heaven? Will I be able to see clearly? I'm not even telling you where I stand on those sorts of things, but that's where that theology is going. Well, that's really fascinating. And I think probably some of those um, those things that you've just kind of touched on there, uh, we might land on again later on, uh, perhaps not in the detail they deserve, but they might form a part of our conversation. But that's really helpful. Some of the considerations that might go into, in, into thinking about a, a, a theology um, of disability. I'm just kind of moving on from that or, or or kind of linked to it, perhaps. I'm just wondering how helpful is the language of disability? Because uh, someone might say, look, we're all of us in some sense disabled because of our differences, you know, our, our unique strengths and weaknesses. Um, and, and so, you know, being slightly um, sort of trivial about it, uh, my lack of practical aptitude for maths or DIY might be viewed as a disability. It certainly is by my wife. Um, but And so, you know, I'm be, I am being slightly facetious there, but I am genuinely asking uh, underneath that the question, how helpful do you think the term is? Uh, and if it's not helpful, is there a better one? Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that's really interesting. I, um, I don't have a better one. However, I also don't like the term disability. Um, I don't like the dis part of it. I don't like the negative connotations of that. Um, I recently completed a degree in this area and that was um, that was discussed through that and debated. Um, essentially, personally, I think I'd prefer something that was more along the lines of other as opposed to dis. Um, but I don't have a word um, 
So no, I don't like the word disability, but I don't have another word for it as of yet. Uh, maybe Win or K does, but um, yeah. I don't have actually have a different word, but there's lots of different views on it. If you talk to various disabled people, um, they prefer to be a disabled person and they actually don't like being called a person with a disability. And when I say they, I am a disabled person, but I'm not that bothered if you call me a disabled person or whatever. You know, it's, it's just who I am. I prefer to be called Kay. Um, if you want to understand that, I'd actually say go to Google and look up models of disability, medical model and social model, and you'll actually see what lots of people think about the terminology surrounding disability. Uh, please don't use the um, politically correct ones differently abled. Ouch. <laughs> right, that's interesting. Yeah. W Win. any thoughts from yourself? I don't have particularly strong views on it. I think Kay used the term additional needs earlier, and I think I would tend to prefer that kind of an approach myself. I think the important thing to bear in mind when talking about this area is just the huge kind of spectrum of different conditions that are encapsulated when we talk about disability. You know, the range of physical and mental disabilities from people with very high functioning kind of capability to people who are very kind of mentally disabled and things so i think it's just it's it's one of those difficult terms and i think maybe disability is, the, is just the best we can do at the moment yeah that, that's, that's useful thoughts and i mean that that thing that i said um you know that we all of us as humans are in some sense disabled is that a helpful thought or is that actually unhelpful and minimizing um some of what else we might have in the conversation i don't know if you have any thoughts on that at all anyone can I say both? I think yeah, yeah. I think in some ways, maybe, I think it would be minimising in some ways, um, and you don't want to underestimate the life some people live um, and, and all, of the, all that comes with that. But equally, um, I think it's really important that a disability isn't a person's identity. So like you, you saying um, about your wife saying your lack of DIY, um, could be considered a disability in your house that doesn't define who you are and no one sees that first in you um if that makes sense so maybe if we looked at it that way in that the disability isn't necessarily someone's identity like Kay said she's Kay um I'm Emily like it, it do, do you see do you see what I mean mm, mm, mm. Kay any thoughts um I've been the subject of people assuming about me so I get the question, you know, if I turn up as the speaker at somewhere, I'm usually kept outside because the speaker's not here yet. <laughs> so um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I also often get referred to as the wheelchair, which I actually think is a lot worse than she's disabled. That's terrible. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. But uh, again, speaking for many other disabled people, if you read what they're writing on social media, they'd rather be called someone that's disabled. Mm. So sometimes that's, there's an oversensitivity on behalf of people that it's, in itself is an assumption mm. that might not be welcomed. Yes, exactly. And if you went into Twitter and made a comment that we can't use the term disabled, um, you would get well and truly beaten to death. <laughs> by the disabled people on that social media. I mean, that's interesting because I guess, I think Emily used the word identity uh, a minute ago. 
Um, and leading on from what we've just been talking about, there is something in my mind about identity that, that, that if we say, oh, he's disabled or she's disabled, there's a danger or there seems to me to be a danger that we're making their disability their overriding, defining thing. When they might have, a bit like you were saying about Kay, about turning up and being the speaker, they might have a, a PhD in something or they might be passionate about a hobby or there might be 101 other ways that they might be that might be their preferred way of being recognised or identified. And so do we sometimes risk subsuming someone's humanity when we label them disabled? I think that's, that's very much the case, that it, it risks becoming the kind of defining factor. It's what people see, it's how they classify that person and and relate to them and i think that's particularly strong i think in the area of mental disability i mean my my son has down syndrome and and sometimes people refer to him as he's a downs as if that's a kind of whole category of of people uh, rather than saying he's a young adult with down syndrome and he's he's a young man with personality, with likes and dislikes, and all sorts of things, all like the rest of us. But it tends to become, in some people's minds, a kind of defining feature. Um, and it's strange we don't use that same sort of language when it comes to um, medical conditions. We don't say somebody's a leukemia or she's a cancer or whatever. We but somehow with mental disability we. We're allowed almost within society to to that, for that to become the kind of defining characteristic. Mm. Yeah, I actually um, find I disagree with the majority of the disabled community on this one. I use the terminology that I am not defined by my disability, but only this week I found out that I am completely wrong to say that one because everybody else says I am defined by my disability. Um, I am not held up by my disability. Apparently that's wrong as well. Um, so every view is different. Yeah, I think I've had conversations with um, with quite a few people around this and sort of same, both the same as Kay and Wynne. Um, but I think for me, what I took from it was that, uh, what, what I understood from it was that the disability can sometimes be a really integral part of someone's identity, but isn't the only part of their identity. I think that's what I took away from those conversations. Um, and for me, I try to, I, I would like to get to know the person underneath the disability or the person behind the wheelchair or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Um, just because a wheelchair or a disability happens to be part of that, that that doesn't really make a difference. Do, do, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Um, that it's not the only defining part of them. And I guess we often in our, our sermons, don't we, we often hear um, a, a preacher saying that actually when you become a Christian, you are defined by who you are in Christ. And that's equally true uh, for a disabled person or an, in inverted commas, able-bodied person, that actually if we're followers of Jesus, surely the overriding defining characteristic or, or thing is who we've become in Christ and everything else um, is secondary? Or is that is that almost being a little bit too insensitive to say that? I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of putting that out there. I think we have to think about our relationship with God. Um, God sees me first and foremost as a daughter and a friend. Yep. And if we approach those people around us, despite or in spite or whether they've got a disability or not, if we approach everybody in that same way, 
you know, how would you start a conversation with someone who wasn't dis- disabled? Do the same thing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, somebody will approach me and the first question is, why do you need that thing? Referring to the wheelchair. Then I generally don't answer. If somebody comes up and says, hi, what can I call you? And I'll say, okay, and we're away. I've made a new friend. I suppose that almost takes us into the territory, which might be slightly more painful to talk about or, um, for us because we're all Christians, but the question of how the church has tended to respond. Um, and obviously I realise there's, there's an enormous range um, uh, in terms of how churches respond. Um, but how, in general terms, how good do you think churches are uh, at welcoming and including adults and children uh, who are disabled? We're generalising um, because we can do that. I fear you were met with silence because that's, that is such a broad question. And um, unfortunately, I think um, more often than not, potentially uh, not well. Um, however, I think in my experience, and please, Kay and Wynne, feel free to override this. Um, in my experience, I've found that churches are quite good at the initial hello and the friendly and the the good welcome as it were but then kind of feel a bit lost or a bit scared as to what to do what to do next or how how to practically include a child with additional needs for example in their in their Sunday school um and so they kind of just pretend it's not happening and hope it will sort itself out um it clearly will not um so I think that that's what I've tend to found um, when I've spoken to people is there's been a relatively good initial hello and the initial welcome, but then kind of a bit of a, oh, I'm not really sure what to do next. Um, and so my encouragement to churches is, is, is just talk, ask, ask the individual, ask the family, chat, make friends, get to know them like Kay was just saying. And then ask if it's, if it's about children, ask parents, what can I do to make your child's like, time with us more comfortable this morning? Um, I'm, I'm a mother I would I, I love when someone asks that about my child um, makes you feel more confident so I guess that would be my easy tip is to just be friendly and, and ask because I tend to be out there on social media talking about disability I find that people will message me with their experiences what I found is that a few are good many have a heart to change and learn but most are appalling um it's been depressing, actually, to receive loads of emails like that. I had one parent that emailed and said, I've just been asked to leave the church because my child is a health and safety risk. I had another parent email to say, we left the church because we couldn't cope and no one has followed us up. They seem as if they're glad we left. Now, the strange thing is, since we've had lockdown, um, I've had much more positive things. All of a sudden, church has become accessible. I mean, that that is yeah that is fascinating, isn't it? Um, I mean, have you got any other reflections on that? Before I mean, we'll bring bring Win on the, on the original question, but any more reflections on that sort of greater accessibility um, since we've become more virtual? Um, I think it comes from many angles. Um, if you suffer from energy loss, which I do, you know, going to church can take an enormous amount of energy. When all you've got to do is roll out of bed and sit on the sofa, you've not taken the energy. So you've got the energy to listen, to take part and to be. Mm. 
Um, for people that can't cope with the loud music, the bright lights, the sudden movement, the smells from the air fresheners, all sorts of things. Now they can concentrate on what's going on. It's been a lot better. hasn't been better for all, but it's actually worked. Um, I always say the upside of my lockdown is the fact that no one's come up to me and laid hands on me to pray. <laughs> I've had no outrageous comments about my disability and no miracle cures I should go and try. So <laughs> that has been a real upside of not going to physical church. Wind, any thoughts from you? I mean, I, I guess as well as attending a church, you've, got, you've visited friends' churches and been to church on holiday and stuff and that. And how, how's it been for you as a family? How, how do you think the church does? Sure, yeah. I think I think the consensus here from, from, the, from Emily and Kay is that, you know, the church isn't terribly good at this. Um, I don't think that's terribly surprising in that I think in society as a whole, disability tends to make other people feel very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if I didn't have a son who was disabled, then I would probably be pretty much the same. I don't think I would be that much different. In my own experience, in my own church, um, I think there, there have been families that I've known who've stopped coming to church because it's become too difficult, because their son or daughter, you know, has particular needs which aren't being met in a church environment they're seen as disruptive or whatever it may be and therefore you know they they, they would rather not go to church than, than be put through that kind of every Sunday. In a, in a positive response I would say my own church because there's been a group of us who've organized some extra activities for children with disabilities it has actually been a source of attracting people into the church into our particular church because they feel more comfortable in that environment and they they feel that their child is being catered for and understood so it, there is an upside to it as well i think churches can actually reach out to people and if they if they you know invest resource and time and effort they can make these this, these things work so sort of a, a mixed bag there. I wanted to develop that a little bit. And I'll be totally honest with you. I'm going to slightly play devil's advocate here in the way that I frame the question. So that's a kind of, uh, that's a warning, um, spoiler alert. Um, but local church life is kind of necessarily rather utilitarian, you know, in every sense. I was doing a, a podcast yesterday about preaching and we, we reflected on that fact. But, you know, in a congregation, you may have university professors in the same congregation as someone who left school at 14 and who doesn't like reading books you'll have two-year-old toddlers and 90-year-olds extroverts introverts the theologically sophisticated and those with a very simple faith and it almost seems like church life kind of works on compromise and often on aiming things at a sort of a mean average now if a church only has one person in a wheelchair is it realistic or fair to expect them to change tons of stuff at great expense to accommodate one person? Uh, and, and as I said at the beginning, there was an element of devil's advocate, but I wanted to kind of put that out there because you can imagine um, churches as they as they think about their finances or their buildings, or all kinds of other things. You can imagine that being a thought in people's minds. How would you respond to that? I'll respond to that as a wheelchair user. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand what you're saying. Um there's lots of different things that are needed for lots of different disabilities. And actually the wheelchair one, you know, building a ramp, making sure there's a proper loo, actually that's been enshrined in law for a very long time. So we should be doing it anyway. Yeah. <coughs> Aside from that, 
what you'll actually find is if you change one thing for one person, you'll make it better for an awful lot more. Yes. So if you put a ramp in, it's not just for the wheelchair users, parents with pushchairs. What about your elderly members that are struggling with mobility? If you change things that help a wheelchair user or someone with uh, poor mobility, you are helping all other groups as well. Yeah, I really, really agree with that. And not just with the practical, physical things like a ramp or a toilet. Um, No two people, regardless of disability, uh, learn, listen, worship, pray, play, socialise in the same way. We all have our preferred way of doing that kind of thing. So having a selection of different learning styles met throughout a service, um, be that going to a prayer station or choosing from a selection of prayer stations um, or having a sermon that one week is quite stationary and more in a lecture style and another week has slides and is in a bit more active, for example, I guarantee you, you will not just be making changes to benefit one person in your congregation that there will be handfuls, like high percentages that will benefit from that that change just because you've you there was the one person that visibly needed a change, that there will be many, many more that will benefit from that change and that will be be attracted to your church as a result of that change. I, I don't dissent from any of that. I think those are all very good points. I think there there is a principle of a kind of reasonable adjustment what 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 do you have to do to make it as inclusive as you possibly can for the maximum number of people and i think that's that's a very good principle to try and adhere to mm-hmm. but i think when it when you put kind of resource to one side and issues of, of finance and all those kinds of things i think it's very often comes down to to putting in thought and time and effort into this issue. And I think that's often the thing that churches are called to, to really reflect upon. You know, are they are they putting the the kind of thoughtfulness and the effort into, into these issues that to make it as possible for people to be able to access services and activities as they possibly can? I wonder. Um, you know, thinking about that and also earlier on we were talking about, yeah, how in general terms do we think, how well do we think in general terms churches respond um, to disability? Uh, I'd be really interested to hear um, from your own experiences um, one example of a church getting it right, you know, something that you experienced or witnessed that really gladdened your heart uh, and also one of a church getting it wrong. Now, yeah, this is a podcast listened to by lots of people and I can't afford good lawyers. So in in, in the case of the first one, the church got it right. Feel free to name it. Um, the, the, the one where the church got it wrong, let's not do a, a public shaming. But it would be really interesting to to kind of see what some of that range of things that you've experienced. You thought, wow, that was great. And you thought, oh, my goodness, did that really just happen? OK, getting it right, first of all, um, I think putting people at the front of the church with disability um, so often those people are marginalised, but I think letting them speak, letting them be seen to be in a in some kind of upfront role is potentially enormously powerful. It's 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 a real kind of issue for the for the for, for, for wider society. I think as an aside here, I, I teach in a university as a job, and we recently gave an honorary degree to a woman with Down syndrome who had excelled in the arts. And she gave a five-minute acceptance speech. And 
she just received an, a, a standing ovation. She touched everybody's heart. There were, you know, a thousand or more people in that auditorium. It was a very, very moving kind of thing. So I think when you are prepared to take a risk and put people with disability at the front of church, they have an enormous impact on the congregation. Um, as for getting it wrong, <laughs> usually my own church is, is very good. They included Marcus in weekends away and youth group activities, you know, no problem at all. On one occasion, there was a, a church uh, in initiative to invite people to have mentors for every teenager. And my son was not invited. And I thought that was just a bit of a problem. Thank you. Kay. I have quite a few examples of churches getting it right, um, usually through attitude um, there's one church where I went to do some children's work training and they had a ramp up onto the platform and they said, one of our readers has recently become disabled and we want him to continue. So we put a ramp in, but I benefited from that as well. And it was just wonderful to see. And I've heard lovely stories where children have been included in the heart of the church, um, where a young man with Down syndrome was on the welcoming team and absolutely brilliant at it. And the fact that they thought to do that. Um, as to getting it wrong, um, I've done some training up in the north and I delivered it at the last minute just because someone was ill and couldn't go and do it. At the end of it, I was told that was pretty good for a disabled person. <laughs> so I, I think that's pretty much getting it wrong. Um, but I hear lots of stories from colleagues and friends, you know, where everybody greets the guide dog and not the person that's using the guide dog <laughs> and lots of examples like that. I think I'm probably uh, in quite a fortunate position. I hear lots of positives, um, which is brilliant. Um, please don't think that <laughs> means I'm blind to the negatives. I'm really not. We've talked about plenty of negatives um, already. Um, so, but one positive that I uh, really loved that I've heard for, heard about um, is a church in Hinkley managed to kind of establish a a team to go alongside their kids team, I guess. Um, and the sole purpose of that team was to either be one to ones when necessary, um, or or to just to be in the room to uh, help enable the uh, the children because they had they had a good handful of children with additional needs. Um, to enable them to fully access and be involved in in all the kids' work on a Sunday. Um, but then more than that, they realised that they had, um, say, an alternative Halloween event or a Christmas event or anything like that that would happen in the week um, that these families, of course, would want to be at as well. And so this team were also made sure they were at all of those events so that um, – those children could all fully access um, everything that was going on, not only on a Sunday, but throughout the week and over different seasons as well, um, which enabled the children to be with their peers. It enabled parents to be with other parents um, and everyone felt safe and everyone felt catered for um, and everyone was able to have a really nice time. Um, so, yeah, I really, I really love that. Quite like to bring Kay in on the point that Wynne raised um, a minute ago, which I thought was really um, quite a telling point about representation. Um, I mean, Wynne was talking about sort of appearing up the front, but I kind of broaden that out, you know, representation in Christian leadership. Um, because it feels to me as if we're just at the very beginning 
of trying to start thinking properly about that as a subject in terms of BAME Christians uh, and the need for greater visibility in church leadership of non-white Christians, and that's great. Um, but do we have anywhere near enough upfront and visible leaders with disabilities? Uh, and, and if we don't, how big of a problem is that? I think it's a huge problem, actually. Um, if you look at the percentage of people with a disability in this country, uh, it's over 20%. If you have not got one in five people with some form of disability in your church, then something's wrong. But there should be representation in leadership as well. And what actually happens with our young people, you know how we're looking for leaders quite often and we do that mentor thing. We mentor them into leadership and all the children with disabilities and additional needs are not included. So we're not even training young people up who have disabilities to be leaders. And a lot of them have got immense skills and that just doesn't happen. But if you've got people with a disability on the front leading, but not necessarily on the front, leading in other areas, children's work, youth work, taking care of the tech stuff, all sorts of stuff, all of a sudden people see disability in a completely different light. And we need that. Um, there's a lot of people actually got upset with the fact that disability has been around for so long, it's such a high number. You know, we've looked at gender, we're now looking at the BAME issues, which is absolutely right. But as soon as you pipe up with, but what are you doing about disability? You get shut down very, very quickly, including by the church. And I, Yeah, and I, and I can't think of a logical reason why that would be, unless we have some kind of, yeah, even if we think we don't, some kind of skewed version of a sort of, health, wealth and prosperity gospel hidden away, even in those places where we don't think we've got it, because why else would you not want to include everyone in leadership, you know, on the basis of their gifts, abilities and, and skills? It's um, it's a strange one, isn't it? But I can see how significant it would be uh, for someone with a disability to see someone like them, yeah, up the front, taking that view of spiritual leadership. That's, that's huge. And it's so important. So important. I I've actually want to be a role model to other children with disabilities so that they can look at me and go, I can do that. Mm. Mm. And if anybody dares to tell them they can't just because they have an additional need or disability, they can go, yeah, but they're doing it. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Um, thinking about, uh, yeah, because obviously the, this podcast, we want to generate conversation, we want to get people thinking, but we also want to um, help perhaps sometimes signpost and point people uh, in helpful directions. Um, do you know of any resources that might help churches, um, perhaps almost as an initial stage, to audit their inclusivity and their, in inverted commas, performance with regard to disability, um, or, or that perhaps provide consultancy to help churches think through some of these issues? You know, if this podcast makes makes uh, some people in a church or church leadership think, my gosh, we, we need to be attending to that, we need to be noticing stuff here, are there any resources to help churches? I mean, if, you're, if it's a church in the Leicester Diocese, that's essentially my job. Um, so if if you're a church leader or a, a church goer that is feeling challenged by what you're hearing, um, then I, like, I'd love you to email me, get in touch with me. Um, I'll happily chat through um, what you're doing, what you'd like to be doing, what needs you're currently meeting, what needs you're not meeting, but would love to know how you can meet. Um, I have a team of people that work 
um, with me, including Kay, um, who are a fantastic wealth of knowledge and resources um, that I I would love nothing more than to share with every single church in the diocese. So, um, yeah, feel free to get in touch. There's a, a few organisations out there as well. Um, if you're talking about children, then the Additional Needs Alliance. We exist on Facebook, but we also have a webpage, additionalneedsalliance.co.uk. And we have four specialists that were trained in different areas. Uh, if you're a church with few resources, can't afford to pay someone, then myself, I actually do training for free for those churches. Um, then there's Through the Roof, absolutely amazing organisation who will do an audit for you. Um, they'll give you all sorts of advice. They've got loads of things you can buy online that are really, really helpful. If you're looking for specific disability help, then go to Churches for All. And on their partners page, you can actually come across all sorts of different organisations that will deal with hearing loss, uh, sight loss, learning disability, all sorts of things. That's great. That's some good pointers there. Thank you. Um, I'm thinking again about uh, disability. Some, some disabilities are, are very physically obvious. Um, others might at first be invisible. Uh, and we've spoken quite a lot about children. Um, and I'm wondering, perhaps particularly, especially with children, how good are we um, at knowing how to include and not to be phased by those who perhaps, I don't know, severe autism or um, attention deficit disorders or, or, or similar um, or other disabilities that might initially be hidden, um, uh, but might appear at times to be quite disruptive. Yeah. How, how, how do we how do we best cope with that and draw those people in and include them and, uh, and just make that work? I think to me it goes back to uh, knowing the individual, getting to know the person. Um, I can only really speak from experience um, in this particular case with children. Um, so uh, I would interact with the child. I would try and uh, create a relationship and rapport over something if they've got I don't know, a TV character on their T-shirt or their bag, um, the odds are that's potentially a relatively safe topic that you can chat about um, or a toy they've bought with them. Um, and then, as, as I said earlier, chat with the parents. Um, if, uh, if you've got a child that, for example, um, communicates uh, using signs or using symbols, um, ask, ask that parent, can can you just quickly show me how how I can uh, how I can best communicate uh, with with you know little Johnny or whatever um, and and things like that yeah just that would be kind of I guess my advice would be just to get 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 on the level of the child to get try and build rapport and relationship and trust there um, and then chat chat with the parents. So that's sort of on, on an individual basis. Um... Win and Kay, what are your thoughts on, on a sort of a whole church level, sort of how good we are and how we best include uh, in some of those kind of areas? I'd agree with Emily. I think t talking to the family, finding out what the family think they need is, is very important. But I think there's an additional stage there where you need somebody in some kind of position of leadership in the church to take responsibility for that and to really make it a priority because... The risk is that gets kind of the issue gets kind of dealt with at a potentially a very low level at um, on a on an ad hoc kind of basis and doesn't get built into the kind of priorities that the church then takes forward. 
And I think if you've got somebody in a church setting who is looking out for those issues and has the power to to direct resource towards that area, then I think you're much more likely in the longer term to be able to cater for those needs going forward over a period of time rather than just on a one-off occasion. Yeah, I'd agree with having a, a champion that yeah. is the key person that will be the advocate with the rest of the church mm. every time. Mm. I, we're actually getting a little bit better at how we help and support children and their families, but we're actually finding that young people and young adults are getting left behind in this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a lot of autistic young people and adults within our churches that are really struggling um, because that care doesn't actually work from cradle to grave, so to speak. It mm. actually stops as soon as they leave the children's work. And that um, is quite difficult, especially when the rest of the church don't see what the problem is. Mm. I, I often say that behaviour is language. So if there is behaviour that we can't deal with, it's not because they are just disruptive. It is because they are trying to communicate that mm. something is wrong. Mm. And we need to keep that in mind at every point. We can also say about autism, it's not a case of severity. It's a, a spectrum. Mm. You know, we use very unhelpful language on this, saying, oh, they have it really badly. Um, what you actually find is someone we call um, not so severely affected are. They're just af affected and deal with it in different ways. So we cannot see the distress that they're in because they shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of our, you know, changing tack a little bit now, lots of our church culture is quite cerebral, you know, um, might be long expository sermons or you know recommend being recommended to read christian books or discussion groups and so on yeah you know, we're often far too perhaps monochrome in our middle classness are we excluding those with learning difficulties and, and not just even is it that we're excluding them which in and of itself you know isn't a good thing um, but are we failing to recognize or honor their relationship with god um, almost as a result of that exclusion. I, th I think you're right. I think there's, there's a spectrum of what people are looking for in church. And it's it's a difficult one because it's a very broad spectrum. And I think, you know, somebody might be very comfortable with a long sermon and other people equally are, are turned off by that and looking for something very, very different. I think there's there are things that churches can do on a practical level to to try and in include as many people as possible. And I don't think it's always just, you know, relevant to people with disabilities. Visual aids in church, I think, is, is incredibly important. Um, often people become vicars because they are very good at speaking and, and you know, are very good at, at delivering a sermon. But not everybody's very good at listening and, and doesn't like listening to a long kind of just word. So... If you give people visual aid material, PowerPoints, there's, you know, such good technology out there nowadays, you can make it much more digestible for people to sit in church. Mm. Um, practical things, being imaginative about when you deliver a sermon or whatever, something that's, that's tangible that people can relate to, um, something tactile. It's not just for people with disabilities. I think it, it's, it's often attractive to a very broad spectrum of people in the congregation. 
Yeah, we quite often think that young people with a learning disability who love Jesus, that Jesus is a little bit smaller than our Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is not as powerful as our Holy Spirit. And I often ask that question first when I'm training. Do, do you think that the Holy Spirit is less powerful than the one that you have? I'm not sure about that. Is their Jesus smaller than ours? Is their Holy Spirit less powerful? I, I, that's, that's a knockout question. Sorry, carry on. Um, I have learned a lot from many children with various uh, disabilities and additional needs. I learn daily from autistic children. They have so much to teach you. And we just need to open our ears and listen to them. Uh, But aside from that, you know, we talk about being very cerebral in everything. There are those of us that either cannot read or we cannot see to read. And everything, our discipleship, our nurturing of young Christians is all based around books. So how do we do that in a much better way? How do we deliver an alpha course to people that have learning disability? How do we teach theology to people that can't read? You know, I want to read a book on the disability theology and none of them are accessible. I cannot read the books that are written about myself. So, yeah, it's it's even further than just learning disability. It's just the ability to see to read or the ability to translate what is written. And, I mean, you were talking then, Kay, about, um, yeah, how you have learned from autistic Christians who you've come into contact with. Um, I wonder, how do we make sure that we see disabled people in our Christian communities, our churches, etc., as a gift, not a problem? Um, yeah, it might be very easy to think, you know, blind, we've got to put ramps and lifts in or it's so time consuming, captioning all the videos to make sure we help people with, with with hearing problems or whatever. But how do we actually get way past that and ensure that we receive everyone as gift? It's how we view family, community. Mm. We need to see the person as a problem, not, not as a problem, but a person. Mm. And the gifts. Now, when somebody walks through the door of the church, what is the first thing we think? And I'm not talking about disability or anything at the moment, just anybody walking through the door. Do we see them as a potential person to go and take on a job or do we see them as a person that we want to get to know first? So we get to know people and then we find that they have gifts that God has given them that we can use. The problem occurs when people automatically assume that a disabled person cannot use that gift. Yeah, I feel like it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier, and it's about valuing their identity, their giftings, and all of that over, I don't know if over is the right word, but over their disability or not letting the fact that they have a disability uh, kind of rub those out or erase those. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We have to be practical. Um, just because somebody might not be able to get into the church, somebody might not be able to access other points of the church. You know, if you can't see what's on the screen, what's a point? Um, so we have to think of those practical things. And each of us has to give some give and take, disabled people as well as those that aren't disabled. Um, but when we've actually got over those issues and put those things in place with a glad heart, this is a sacrifice of praise, <laughs> 
Um, we are serving and we are worshipping while we're actually helping disabled people to access the church. Mm-hmm. And as we're doing that, we begin to see the gift and not the problem. Mm-hmm. We see it as worship first. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I want to ask a couple of very personal questions now. Uh, so I hope that doesn't feel rude or intrusive and one to win and one to K. Um, but win as Marcus's dad, um, I just wonder if you're if you if you're able to say or, or got any reflections on how has your faith benefited and grown as a result of being his dad? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I, Marcus is very upfront about his faith. Um, unlike myself, he's not reticent. He's you know in worship, he's always fully engaged. Um, I think he he challenges me sometimes because. If there's something wrong with somebody, he'll pray for them straight away. He'll lay hands on them. He's seen a lot of, we've seen quite a lot of answered prayer from um, things that Marx has done. So he's he's just much more upfront and unashamed about his faith in any sort of way. And I think it's it's set a real kind of challenge for me in front of family and others just to... Um, live out my faith in a way that he does every day i just yeah I, that what you say then actually took me back to when i was a, a vicar in plymouth uh, and i did a funeral of uh, a lad with down syndrome who probably died in his 40s or 50s something like that uh, and he was part of a uh, a group that they had um down in the southwest of um uh, of youngsters and and adults with down syndrome who had this whole worshiping thing i, I forget the name of the organization um, but but it was an amazing funeral, and um, the funniest thing was seeing the embarrassment um, of all of the relatives who didn't have Down syndrome as this congregation um, of people just all there with their arms in the air and really belting it out, and all these um, rather embarrassed, able-bodied relatives or, or whatever who weren't Christians thinking, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And uh, for me standing at the front, it was absolutely wonderful. Um, really brilliant probably the only time i've ever enjoyed singing shine jesus shine but anyway um, <laughs> terrific but it was wonderful uh, okay a, a bit similar and again I, I really hope this doesn't sound like a trite question um but how has your relationship with god been enriched if that isn't too brave a question to ask by your experience of being disabled it hasn't taken away from my relationship with God mm-hmm. at all. It has added to it. Mm-hmm. it. It's a difficult question to answer just because uh, my whole life has been beset with other issues as well. So, you know, alongside a very difficult childhood, it's difficult to answer the question because it's all intrinsic and wound up in, in everything that I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blessed with a personality that trusts easily when it comes to God. Not people, but God. (laughs) And I can say without hesitation that God has always been there for me. I know that he sees me as his beautiful creation, Mm -hmm. even when I feel really ugly sitting in my wheelchair, because I do. Mm -hmm. But I know how God sees me, and that is amazing. Um, When you are in the depths of pain, my disorders come with an awful lot of pain that wake me in the night. I don't sleep well. So prayerfulness comes in the night i pray during the day and that just suits me and i have that two-way conversation about it there is lament and i think we've lost the art of lament Mm. but 
I have that in spades. <laughs> and I will yell at God and say, this is not fair. Uh, but like David, I'll come back and just say, but I know you're God and I know you love and I know you care, but it still stinks. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I'm going to give you, Emily, the last word. Um, you're the disability advisor for the diocese. Can you give us like a brief soundbite answer? Um, what single message or question or challenge uh, would you want folk out there listening to this podcast to take away and reflect on? Well, that's a brilliant question. Um, I think two things spring to mind. So technically not single, but having spoken for this long, I think two is great. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I'd really love people to uh, to remember or to learn um, that as we were chatting about earlier, an, an individual who, who happens to, to be disabled is, is first and foremost an individual and get to know that individual, get to know their hobbies, their passions, their giftings um, and value them if they have a gifting that... Um, that, you know, if they play the guitar and you need a need someone to play guitar at church, excellent. Let's encourage them in that. Um, and then, secondly, um, I think that inclusion doesn't have to be big and scary and daunting and inconvenient. Um, I don't think anyone uh, on this pod- podcast today would expect a church to um, make hundreds and hundreds of changes in one go um, and to then be the perfect church. That's that's not. It's not realistic. Um, I would say make one change at a time, uh, two changes at a time, um, and go on a go on a journey of growth, go on a journey of change um, that 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 comes from the heart, and utilise resources that that Kay mentioned earlier. Um, and yeah, just look at, look at the needs that you've got in front of you, um, and and address and address them as, as you go on that journey. Um, don't don't be put off by potentially it being big or scary or daunting it really doesn't have to be thank you no that's really useful well do you know what we've reached the end of this podcast uh, and as ever we want this just to be the start of a conversation that continues uh, in your churches your fresh expressions and your small groups as we seek to become more inclusive uh, as we learn to recognize the image of god in all of his people Uh, And as we think through issues uh, of welcome and of accessibility. Uh, My thanks to today's panel, to Wynne, to Kay and to Emily. Uh, And until next time, this has been Rethinking Aloud, a podcast from the Diocese of Leicester. And so stay safe and be blessed.